0: well this morning get ready for a workshop i'm not sure we could call this a sermon but it's going to be work you and i are going to work together to talk about one of the most important topics but before we go to that our series is called i wish i could blank and we've already talked about how that in january we feel sort of an energy toward change and we are already there so we want to talk about that in this series we've already looked at two different messages and i hope that you've already watched those you're really going to need the first message for today to make a lot of sense, but it's all about changes that need to be made in our lives. And I'm, I'm not talking about specific changes because you're gonna do that. I was talking to Mary Alice this morning at breakfast and when I teach communicators, which I have the privilege of doing, I always say to communicators, rule number one is respect your audience. And I do respect you. I respect the fact that you know what you need to change in your life. I wanna give you the principles to apply so that you can apply these in any scenario. But I'm I'm sure that there are a lot of things that go in our blank there. I've got a few of these in my blank for 2022. I wish I could save money. I wish I could get in shape. I wish I could be on time. I have friends that I want them to put that in their blank. But I mean, because when I go through this list, it's like, you know, my husband needs all of these. Um, I I wish I could forgive. I wish I could break free from a toxic relationship. I wish I could break free from getting in toxic relationships. I wish I could lose weight. I wish I could get out of debt. I wish I could stop trying to please hurtful people. Uh, I wish I could move on. I wish I could tell the truth, which in 2022, that would be a great goal for about 97% of Americans. Uh, I wish I could pray every day. I wish I could get closer to God. I wish I could love more. Some of you saw the Project Generosity offering that your brothers and sisters gave here at New Spring, over a million dollars. And when you saw that, you said, I wish I could give. I wish I could give consistently. So that might be in your blank. Well, today, I want to talk to you about the most practical step in making any of these changes. But first, I wanna go back to what I said a moment ago. We've already covered two things. Last week, we said it's really important to know what you can change and what you can't change. One of our verses that we're looking at is Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And we understand that when we see those words, all things, it means all things that we need to do. Obviously, you can't jump flat footed to the moon. But we recognized last week that we need to spend the time talking about or thinking about what we can change and what we can't change and i don't want to re last week's message but simply this most of us have anxiety over stuff that we can't change and it keeps us from doing the things that we have at our disposal to do so we'll set that aside i want to go back to the first week because in order for me to talk about what i need to talk about today i'm going to need to spend some time going back to the first week and what i shared with you was if we're going to make any change in our lives we can't make those changes a la carte. We have to have a culture of change. That's true of an organization, it's true of a church, and it's true of a family, and it's definitely true of you and me as individuals. We can't make changes a la carte. Now, I'll be the first to admit that when I talk about a la carte in regard to change, that is what our staff lovingly refers to as a Marxism. In other words, I'm saying something, and I've kind of made up a concept or made up a thought, And I know what it means, so every once in a while, Mary Alice reminds me, Mark, you know what that means, but the rest of us are not sure what that means. So let me go, let me talk about what I mean by making change a la carte. Let me give you a better word. Uh, It's tweaking. It's tweaking. In other words, I'm not going to get under the hood and go into the real culture of what I'm dealing with, but I'm going to make a tweak. And I want to tell you something. Please, please hear my heart on this. I know an awful lot about this. There's a reason why. I teach on this all over the United States, in fact, even I'm going to be in some foreign countries this year, and I will talk about this. I know what I'm talking about when I talk about trying to make change by tweaking. I've had the privilege of being your pastor for almost 37 years. 37 years is a long time. I was a year older than Stephen when I came here, and I just got my Medicare card. So I... So much has happened here that almost all of you have no memory of. And for that, I'm very thankful. When I became senior leader here as a very, very, very young man, there were two things that were apparent to me. It was a church of about 350 people who attended on a weekend. The first thing was we had some very wonderful people and very precious people who loved the Lord very much. And the other reality is we had some very strange rules. Now, I grew up in a church, and my dad was pastor of a church, and in those days, traditional churches tend to be a little bit more legalistic. I thought I knew what legalism was growing up in Texas. But when I came here to Kansas, you guys had a whole, I mean, not you personally, but it's a whole different brand of stuff. So let me just kind of go over some of the rules that were in place when I became lead pastor. Now, I want to say real quickly, I'm not opposed to rules. Rules are part of life. Structure is part of life. But whenever... You're dealing with the church it's very important that those rules be based on the word of god and not on somebody's interpretation of religion so let me, let me just give you some of the rules that were that i was greeted with when i became lead pastor here number one we did not celebrate christmas we had trees that we could have in the gym but they were called holiday trees they could not be called christmas trees there were no guitars in the church auditorium. That was wrong. Now, you could have guitars if we had an event in the gym, but there could be no guitars on the stage, no drums, just piano and organ. You could not have any leadership role in the church if you were divorced. didn't matter whether you were the perpetrator or the victim. It was like everybody was put in a bag and shaken up, and if you'd gone through a divorce, you couldn't have any leadership role in the church. I could not have been an usher because I have facial hair. And the one that really, this is the one I changed instantly when I became lead pastor. We could not receive anyone for membership unless they were baptized in a Baptist church. I remember going to one of our charter members who's with the Lord now, and I I just thought, I cannot pastor this church one minute with that rule. And so I went to this charter member and I said, Glenn, I need to let you know right out of the box, I'm gonna change this. He said, praise God, I've been waiting for somebody to do that for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> here's one we could not use any translation of the Bible that was not the King James Version because the King James Version was the only translation that was the word of God well I'd studied biblical languages and I knew it was a translation that had, like all translations it had its challenges, it had its good side and bad side, most of it was it was written in Shakespearean language most people couldn't understand ladies could not wear slacks I could go on and on giving you the rules that I inherited when I became leader of this church. And the one thing I want you to understand very clearly, there's a reason why I'm going here today because I want to understand something and it's not about church culture. I don't say that to criticize anybody. The leadership at that time was doing what they were taught and they were doing what they believed was right and I believe the Lord honored their heart trying to please the Lord. But to me, as a young leader, biblically speaking, all these things were like fingernails on a chalkboard. And the worst part about it, and this is true of a lot of traditional churches, is we were so engaged in looking at those rules, we weren't doing what we had been commissioned to do by Jesus Christ. A church has a purpose, and if you want to see it, it's in Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize, teach everything that the Lord has commanded. So that's the deal. And and here's the problem. The culture of our church, as within probably the majority of American churches, was internally focused. We were focused on the people who were already there. Now, every once in a while, we did some good things. It was kind of like Clark Kent, we would go into the phone booth and come out and do some good stuff. I mean, we, had, we supported missions. It was a great missions supporting church. That was an enormous thing because at that moment we were focusing externally. That was great. We also had vacation Bible school. This is too much information because I'm not talking about churches today. But I travel this country. In fact, we have a lot of teams that come in here every week. We have two that are coming in in the next week or so, one coming in tomorrow. And these are great churches that want to do great things. One of the first things that I ask churches when I talk to them about what they do, I always say, tell me about kids, because you New Springers know kids are job one. You can walk through our campus and recognize that. So I'll ask them a lot of times, especially traditional churches, tell me about your kids' ministry. Oh, we have the greatest vacation Bible school. Man, every June, July for one week, we have all these hundreds of hundreds of kids come in. But the problem is they go right back to what they were. And so what I tell them is this, look, if Vacation Bible School is great and it's reaching people, do Vacation Bible School every week. But that's the problem with the traditional church. See, it's like Clark Kent. It just sort of goes into the phone booth and comes out and does something external for a week or so and then reverts right back to where they were. By the way, let me talk to you a moment. And I don't need to talk to you about New Spring but you understand, of course, that we have a very different culture. Somebody could say, Mark, what you talked about with this church in the early days is some crazy stuff, but what does it have to do with me personally? Okay, let me get down to it. As I said, I've been a leader here for a long time. For 15 years, I did something about it, but I stopped short of what I really needed to do as a leader, and it's where most of us stop short in our individual lives that gets in the way of substantive change instead of changing the culture of being internally focused drum roll i tweaked i tweaked by the time as i said those 15 years rolled around long before i would stopped all the things i just told you about and a whole lot more and a lot of good things happen. I mean, we nearly tripled in size. We relocated out here to where we are. A lot of healthy tweaks. But I never went after the real issue. And it's the issue that most churches have. It is, I, I, I refuse to challenge an internal focus. And as I've said, and I'll continue to say, to us, I mean, we get this, but most churches are internally focused. I mean, the church, we may talk about reaching others who don't know Jesus, but the church is set up to be all about us. We give our money. It's all about me. What are you gonna do for me? What program are you gonna have for me? I mean, here's the thing. The difference between internally focused and externally focused is roughly the difference between a yacht and a Coast Guard cutter. A yacht is very clear. It's all about the people on the boat who have paid for all that luxury. You go on a Coast Guard cutter, it's very clear. That boat was built to rescue people. There's stuff that's there for the sailors who are on board, but it's all about equipping them to rescue people. Well, I don't need to explain that to you. For most of you, that's why you came to New Spring. You came because of the culture that reaches out. But in 2004, I quit tweaking. And we changed the culture of New Spring Church. And by that, we started looking at ourselves as a Coast Guard cutter, not a yacht. And it got painful. It was a process that really lasted about five years of us transitioning and and becoming the church that we are today. And and a lot of wonderful people, sweet people that love the Lord very much decided they could not travel with us anymore. And the weird thing about it was, we lost almost everybody that we lost in 2004. You ready, New Spring? Because I'm going to get to where we're going to talk about individually in just a second. I didn't change almost anything in 2004. It was just that our culture shifted. I made it very clear that New Spring Church was going to be about people who weren't here yet. That we were not a rest home for saints. We were a hospital for sinners. And then God began to work, and thousands of you came in to New Spring Church, and it's who we are today. That sounds right to you, because it is our culture now. Today at New Spring, we don't tweak. Long ago, we stopped tweaking. We know what we need to do to be effective because our culture teaches us what it is that we need to do. I mean, we're very clear about a couple things. Number one, we do not vary from the Word of God. If the Word of God says something, then we don't dilute it one bit. We don't vary a centimeter from what the Word of God says. But if somebody will show us a creative, effective way to build bridges to people who are spiritually unresolved, we will take that that avenue. Stay with me because I'm going to get to you and me now. I've never said this before except to Mary Alice and a few people in my inner circle and all the people who were at last night's service. (laughs) Do you know what brought me to the place where I would pay any price? And by the way, it got very expensive. Do you know what brought me to the place where I would pay any price? I was exhausted with tweaks. Tweaks literally exhausted me because I was having to make changes one by one. I'd have to lay the groundwork for why this change. And then I had to make another change and I had to go through all the rigmarole of making that change. And so I had made so many changes and I'd had to speak so many times about why we were making a change. But you understand there was no undergirding culture that explained all of them. But I also knew that culture is the hardest thing to change. And that's true in my life and your life. We will make tweaks. I and mean, like, well, I know I need to lose weight, you know? Gain too much weight during Christmas season. I'm going to have to go find a diet and figure that out. And then like, well, you know what? I've, I've spent too much money, so I need to figure that out. And, if, and here's the thing. If you have an internal, internal culture that helps you make those decisions, and it's fine, you can handle a whole lot of stuff. But if you try to handle everything a la carte, you'll just get exhausted and you'll give up and you'll begin to believe things about yourself that are not true. You will start believing, I'm a failure, I'm a loser. I cannot live a self-disciplined life. And here's the thing, I'm not trying to blow sunshine at you. I'm just telling you, that's not your fault. The problem is there's a culture that needs changing. Now, listen, whether I'm talking to Christian leaders or I'm talking to the corporate world, If I'm thinking about my own personal life, culture is about two things. And you got to be clear on these. Number one, culture is about identity. See, the thing of it is, if you don't know who you are, you won't know what you do. You do what you do because you know who you are. If you think about anything you've done in your life that's been a substantive, healthy change, check me out on this and see if it doesn't go back to you knowing who you are. Identity. And that's what happened here at New Spring. I mean, you know, for a long time, we didn't know who we were. We were trying to be everything to everybody. Somebody could come into our church and like, well, this is a great church, except you don't have this program. Okay, we'll try to do this program. Well, this would be great if you just did this. I mean, every once in a while, (laughs) I'm being too honest today, we will have somebody who will come from like a failing church and like, oh, we love New Spring. It just does all these things well. But if it just did this one thing that my failing church did, you know, I'll nod and smile but that idea like Elvis has left my building. (laughs) We only do about five things here at New Spring, but they come out of we know who we are and we don't wander from those five things. All right, all of that has been introduction. Does it count against my sermon time? (laughs) Okay, because culture is about a second thing and that second thing is what I wanna talk about for the rest of this talk. It comes down to number one, identity, and number two, Habits. Habits. When you know who you are, you begin to invest your energies in behaviors in habits that are consistent with your identity. You, you, you invest yourself in habits that support your identity. Let me t- if, if that's not clear, let me take you to a Bible story that's going to make it real clear. First of all, let me reintroduce you to a guy named Daniel. Daniel grew up in Judah, but Judah had flipped God off, and finally God said, I'm going to let you go into captivity. So when he was a kid, he was taken captive by the Babylonians who overran Judah. Now, the Babylonians had a curious way of conquering people. They wanted to bring the best and brightest from conquered peoples into their universities and their systems and indoctrinate them in the Babylonian way so that they would become, forgive the term, missionaries to go back to their own people. And so when Daniel was young, he was part of that best and brightest group that got captured along with three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazariah. You probably know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was their Babylonian names. So they brought Daniel to the university. They taught him in their way. But Daniel proved to be extraordinarily effective and capable. God was with him. And so all the years that the Babylonians had power, Daniel was one of the leaders of the country. And you can read about that in the first part of the book of Daniel. But when Daniel was an older guy, the Babylonians lost their grip and along came the Persians and the Persians overran them. And amazingly, Daniel rose to the top in the Persian administration. You may remember it, for those of you who were in the Christmas season, remember I told you they didn't touch the Magi? Daniel was one of the Magi. So the way the Persians had it set up, the way the Persian empire was, there were 120 leaders over 120 sections of the empire. And then there were three leaders over the 120, and Daniel was one of the three leaders, but the, the Persian emperor decided that he's going to put the whole thing under Daniel. Well, you know, if you want to be hated, just have more, know more, and do more. <laughs> and these other, these other leaders said, we don't want this guy over us. We're going to find some way to cancel him. We're going to take him down. We're going to find something in his life, and then we're going to cancel him for it. Well, it wasn't anything unusual, anything wrong in his sex life. wasn't anything wrong in his business decisions, his management. Everything was pristine. And finally, they said, you know, the only way we can take this guy down is in his weird faith system. This God thing that he has. Everybody knew Daniel prayed three times a day, and he'd go up in his house and opened the windows. He didn't live in Jerusalem, so he opened his windows toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. Well, follow that away because these guys that want to cancel Daniel, they go to the king, Darius, and they say to him, Darius, we don't think you're getting enough props, man. People don't respect you the way they should. Let's let's make a law that if anybody prays to any god except you for 30 days... We're going to cancel him and put them in a lion's den. Let the lions do the rest. And Darius like, yeah, that sounds good to me. Well, the problem with the per- laws of the Medes and Persians, it couldn't be changed, not even by the king himself. The king loved Daniel. He didn't understand what these guys were up to. Well, what's Daniel going to do now? And put yourself in his place. He has a decision to make. You're going you gonna to comply? I mean... A lot of Americans today who have faith and they run the risk of being canceled by this culture, they fold like a cheap suit. You're Daniel. Do you just decide for 30 days, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to pray in silence. I'm going to walk around town and they won't know it, but I'm praying. Or does he go home and close the window? How does he make this decision? You ready? Watch this. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, verse 10 of Daniel 6, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his new spring. What's the word? Custom. Since early days, I have a Hebrew lexicon that I I trust. And it said, as was his custom or as he had the, what's the word? Habit of doing. You understand what I'm saying? His habit made the decision. He had a habit in his life. He knew who he was. Remember, culture is two things. It's identity and habits. And his habit made the decision. See, here's the thing. Most of us think our lives are going to be written by the events that happened to us. Not true. Our lives, the story of our life is going to be written by our habits. You know, we call this story Daniel and the Lion's Den. I think the real story could be Daniel and his habits. Please, New Springers, never forget that it will not be the events of our lives that will write our stories. It, here's the thing. When our lives are over, our stories will be written by our habits. And we dance around it. We can, we can try to explain why we did this or did that. But at the end of the day, our story will be written by our habits. Okay. Habits are a big topic, and I have 10 minutes, 11 minutes, maybe 15. (laughs) Put yourself in my place right now. I got 10 to 15 minutes to tell you something about habits when I could do a 20-week series and not exhaust it all. Let's look at three things. Number one, habits... And this is going to explain why I just said habits are going to write your story. Habits have energy. Habits have power. They have energy. And it's a good time to point out what we all know. There are good habits and bad habits. Now, here's the thing that maybe might be new to you. Good habits and bad habits both have energy, but they have totally different kinds of energy. Bad habits pull us to failure. That's the pull of a bad, that, that's what bad, that's the, the energy pulls us to failure. Here's a verse of scripture I think about from time to time. In, in, in Proverbs 18, 9, slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. See, here's the thing. If, for some of us whose habits are bad, if somebody came in and vandalized our house, we'd put it on social media. I can't believe what somebody did to me. For most of us, the greatest damage that's done in our lives is done through bad habits that we have ourselves. Bad habits pull us to failure. Good habits push us to success. Now, good habits, let's go back to bad habits for a moment. This is the most accurate way I can think of, of explaining this. Bad habits work like gravity. That's the word we're going to use for the energy of bad habits. Bad habits work like gravity, and it comes from taking the easy road. Good habits bring a completely different kind of energy, and it works like this. Before I, before I give you a term for it, let me see if you've had this experience. Who's had this experience? You need to work You know you need to work out. You need to get in shape. So you started working out. Maybe you got a trainer. Maybe you did it on your own. But the first few times you worked out, you thought your lungs would explode, and you had to make yourself go, especially, especially about two weeks in because you lost the new of it and you felt worse than when you started and you stood and looked in the mirror and you didn't see a whole lot of change but you stayed with it and you stayed with it and you worked through that and then one day you woke up and you felt something you hadn't felt before there was this little push inside of you that said let's go it's time to do this thing you didn't see that coming i mean just a couple of weeks before you were about ready to quit But all of a sudden, it's time to go work out. It's the same thing with reading your Bible. Same thing with saving money. Okay, if gravity is the word that we have for taking the easy way out, and it's the energy of bad habits, what's our word for the energy behind good habits? Drum roll. Momentum. Momentum. I mean, I've lectured sports teams, I've lectured in the corporate world. One of the biggest questions that I get asked is Mark, what is momentum and how do you get it? Momentum comes from the energy of doing the right thing over and over and over again. And all of us today need to ask ourselves a question, including your pastor Do I want to live my life energized by gravity or do I want to live my life energized by momentum? Number two, to build good habits, I have to fall more in love with a process than an outcome. Now, if you could back me into a corner on my way out of here and you say, Mark, what do you think Americans are going to be least likely to embrace? It would be this point. Because see, a lot of times we want a good habit because we're thinking about the outcome. How many of us got on the scales after Christmas and said, you know, I need to lose 20 pounds. So in order to lose 20 pounds, I have to find some means to that end. I have to come across a diet. What happens to us, and the reason why we tend to gain back everything that we lost, is we're in love with an outcome. If you will ever fall in love with the process, the outcomes will take care of themselves, and it will be lasting. Now, let me go to a very sensitive place. Here in America, especially in our everybody gets a trophy world, we give ourselves an out when we fail at something. And here's the out that we give ourselves. It's two words. I tried. I tried. Now I want to talk to all of you who are, you own a business, you have several employees, or you lead a team, you're management, and you have to give reviews or you have to call people in when they underperform. You ever call somebody in who's really underperforming and they're not getting the job done and you want to try to coach them on what they need to do to get the job done and they tell you, "I tried." As if to say that should end the discussion. "I tried." As if you cannot take this any further. You may be my boss, you may be my manager, but I tried. Or we may actually add a little lie to that, that a lot of us add, I tried my best. <laughs> now, work with me for a sec, because we need to go somewhere. And, and you're going to need to suspend reality for this, I know. Just, so just suspend reality. I get a call from Andy Reid this afternoon. See you're laughing at me, and I haven't even given it to you. <laughs> Andy calls me. He's like, "We got a tough game tonight. You see what the Bills did to Belichick's team? They ran through them like a hot knife through butter. So we got to play the Bills tonight. And we're kind of worried that Mahomes doesn't have enough receivers. You know, we, you know, Kelsey did great last week, and Tyreek. You know, but they, we need another target." And so, I know you're speaking twice this morning, but can you get to Kansas City this evening? Because we need you to be a whiteout for us tonight. Well, we'd have a little talent problem and a serious age issue. Well, let's set that aside for a moment. And I say to Andy, I'll be there. I mean, we need the Chiefs to win. I want to go back and get that bad taste out of my mouth from last year's Super Bowl. I'll be there, Andy. Now, here's the deal. I would last one play, and when they carted off my body (laughs) to the sideline, if I am conscious, (laughs) I would say to Andy, I tried the best I could. Would it make any difference? No. It's true. I tried. The problem was I didn't train. See, people that play pro football, they, they, they start, you know, typically their mom and dad hand them the football in the delivery room. <laughs> and they play Pop Warner and they play Little League and then they play in middle school and they play in high school and they play in college. See, they, and then on top of that, it's not even like the NFL was 30 years ago. These guys train 365 days a year. And you get my point, no matter how hard I tried, it would not matter because I have not trained. Hey, I took piano, I I took piano lessons when I was a kid. My left hand would just never coordinate. But I did learn a few pieces, I mean, it'd be the same thing if somebody said, Mark Hoover's gonna play a concert for us. I mean, you had the candelabra on the nine foot boson, Dorfer Grand, I think I could get out a little chopsticks and maybe a few measures of Moonlight Sonata. But it'd be laughable to think I could be a concert pianist because I haven't trained. So many things in our lives we fail at, but we give ourselves a pass and we say, I tried, but we didn't train. And here's the deal if I say I tried and I didn't train, it's a lie when I say I tried. The challenge for us when it comes to good habits is to fall in love with the process, not the outcome. I love that Tiger Woods said this years ago, and I love what he said. He said, you have to love practice as much as you love playing the game. See, here's the thing. If you want to lose weight, you need to fall in love with a process, a nutrition process that's going to last. Not some bad diet that you're going to be on for 20 days. Well, I'm going to go into, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Let me give you the third thing. We have, if we're going to start habits today that are going to change our lives, we've got, we got to do mental preparation. This cannot be a reaction kind of thing. You've got to prepare your mind. So let me give you four things real quickly that we have to prepare our minds to do if we're going to have good habits. Number one, here's a big one. We have to change our mind. This goes right with the process versus the outcome. We have to change our mind about what's good and what's bad. Now, I've been honest with you, I bet I've lost 5,000 pounds in my adult life. (laughs) And I've been on all kinds of diets and they're all restricted. My challenge has been, for much of my life, I didn't change my mind about what was good. Because the reason I gained that weight is I believed things were good that were not good. What I mean by that, I believed things were good that tasted attractive to me but like broccoli and cruciferous vegetables they are good but i thought that's bad now here's the thing if we don't change our minds about what's good and what's bad we will restrict ourselves for a little while but as long as as long as we think that broccoli is bad and crispy cream is good we might be off crispy cream for six weeks but that's why we revert right back and gain all that way back that we lost because we didn't change our mind about what's good and what's bad. You know, I, uh, the, I mean, why do we eat Krispy Kreme? I mean, they're like liquid sugar, right? But when that red light's on, what do we say, bad habits pull us? And, and, and you the know, thing of it is, I heard, we can even make this spiritual. I heard about one guy who said, God, I, I know I shouldn't eat a Krispy Kreme donut, but if it's your will, let two things happen. Number one, let the red light be on. <laughs> and number two, if I see a parking place, I'll know it's your perfect will. <laughs> he said, sure enough, on the 12th time around, there was a parking place. <laughs> Hey, if something's bad for me and I think it's good, then I'm going to revert right back to it. If I think spending money foolishly is good, then I can have a budget for a little while, but I'll revert right back to it. If I think dating anybody that makes me laugh is a good thing, if that's what becomes good for me, then I'll revert right back to dating people sometimes who are toxic and hurt me. There's that mental preparation to say, I have to be honest and be willing to change my mind about what's good and what's bad. And again, it all comes down to that pull versus push. It all comes down to gravity versus momentum. Mental mental preparation, patience. If you don't see any benefit, which most of us, when we start trying to do the right thing, we won't see any instant benefit. And a lot of people drop out at that point, but we have to say, I have to be patient for good outcomes. It takes a while for that momentum to take over. But once it takes over, it has extraordinary power in our lives. When you're preparing for change, it's really important to root out the discouragement and bring in encouragement. If you've got somebody who encourages you to do the right thing, you've got to turn up the volume on that person. If you've got someone who discourages you, you need to turn down the volume on that person. And here's the thing, and I'm, I'm just going to be real blunt about this. A lot of us when we do the wrong things and we have a bad habit the community around us has that same bad habit and there's a certain comfort there's a certain camaraderie in that and then all of a sudden we decide i need to change i need to have a different lifestyle i need to date different people i need to use money differently i need to stop this drinking i need to quit using these drugs and what happens is a lot of those people who don't want to change will want to pull you back in And they'll always find fault with your good habit and they will make you feel bad about leaving behind the influence of that community. And one of the problems that we have in America today, and this is part, talk about culture. In the last 30 or 40 years, Americans have replaced the concept of good with the concept of nice. And there's the idea, well, I can't, I can't say anything that someone might take offense to. Well, obviously we shouldn't offend anyone without cause, but at the same time, if doing the right thing offends someone then I need to say, I may have to change my community here because every one of us, when we start doing the right thing, we need the encouragement. We need the constant messaging and we need that building up and we need to shut out the voices that take us the wrong direction. I mean, here's a verse of scripture that I think about. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Do not be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good, say it with me, habits. One more time. Bad, says, oh, I don't think you should say anybody's bad. Well, you and the word of God have a problem. <laughs> bad friends will ruin good habits. I'm finished with this. We're talking about mental preparation. Got to decide what's good, what's bad. Got to have patience. It's important to have the right messaging. And I'm going to talk to everybody who's tried to begin a good habit. You know that one of the real threats to a good habit is a circumstance that comes up that takes you out of your routine. You know, you've got this healthy nutrition thing going, but you have to go to this event. And you know that everybody there is going to be eating unhealthy. And you're going to have the the pressure to cave. How many of us have started a good habit till we came up to a circumstance that threw us out of our new routine and we reverted right back to where we were? Okay, here's my final thought. If I'm going to begin a good habit, I understand I'm going to encounter circumstances that are going to threaten my new good habit. I have to let change override my circumstances and not circumstances override my change. We're going to know ahead of time we're going to face challenging circumstances but here's the deal never forget this and i'll leave you with this it takes roughly two months to start a new good habit it can be broken in two minutes thanks for being here today god bless we'll see you next weekend once again thanks for listening if you live in wichita the surrounding area we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services